0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson.
0: of your day today we certainly appreciate being included in your work we're going to be talking about what all is moving here in the world of agriculture today in just a moment we're going to be talking with Dwayne bussey from bolt marketing about what is going on in the markets and there's a lot of red on the screen in the grain complex today and then in segment two caitlin glover the executive director of the public lands council will be joining us we're going to talk about using conservation as a permitted land use then in segment three dan from president ceo of the us meat export federation will join us March's export numbers surprised on the pork side. More global demand than was expected heading into it. And finally, we're going to close today's episode with a look at the FMCSA's proposal to put speed limiters on all heavy-duty trucks and how the DRIVE Act could slow that down. Before we get to all of that, however, let's dig into these grain markets. Joining us now, Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. And Dwayne, we've just had a cavalcade of negative information here this morning in the grain trade, haven't we?
2: yeah we sure have yeah china came in and canceled some more u.s corn was really hoping that was done with but obviously their thoughts are let's cancel this higher price stuff we purchased they're counting on that safrina crop out of brazil coming to a near record size and that of course would probably be cheaper than ours so um yeah, it's business, I guess, but it's always frustrating as producers when we see those cancellations. And, and it also happens, Mike, during a time where we got a U.S. report on Friday coming out where the trade is anticipating lower demand. And, and this today is just kind of, I don't know, time stamping that or, or making guys that are bearish feeling more confident that that's exactly what's going to happen. So not a lot of news for the bulls this morning.
0: No, there certainly isn't. Dwayne, if we think back to yesterday, of course, we had that crop progress report from the USDA and American farmers really got out this last week and got things done, didn't they?
2: Yeah, it sure did. You know, that's the other thing is you've got the new crop, half of it already planted. And if you can get more than half of it planted before Mother's Day, the old rule of thumb is that you know we're going to have trend line or above yields. So we'll start putting above trend line yield in the s and table with lower exports. And guess what? We have a lot larger ending stock at the end of the table. So that's what I mean by there's, there's no bullish news out there as of today anyway. It's, but maybe we're pricing in all the bearish news as well. I'm kind of hoping on that anyway. <laughs> I've been a long-term bull for a while and really wrong right now.
0: Well, you you mentioned a lot of this is being built up because we do have those supply and demand estimates coming from USDA at the end of this week. Duane, you mentioned the trade is baking in some bearish expectations with these numbers. Where is the biggest shock expected?
2: I think, you know, the biggest thing is we're looking at lower corn export demand uh, and overall just higher stocks at the end, you know, both old and and new crop, uh, lower export demand moving forward. And that really goes back to the huge Brazil crop that they're going to raise down there so but that's just it that's what we're anticipating uh surprise could come maybe in the soybean market where stocks are still pretty tight uh mike i mean even if we plant the the acres they're suggesting which i'm scratching my head on if we really have that many acres we're still not looking at over 300 million bushels for an ending stock so you know you you don't decrease the export demand on soybeans at all or, or crush demand doesn't drop, then all of a sudden the soybean situation stays very tight moving forward.
0: With all that being the case, when with this big drop happening today, looking at the new crop soybean market right now, we're, we're getting close to that twelve and a half dollar mark, which I know has has somewhat of a technical significance. Is this mm. time for to get some hedges on or, or do you need to let this move play out? I... I don't think so. Now, (laughs) I've openly already admitted that I'm the one that has
2: been waiting on hedges for a while, right? And that doesn't look very smart today. But I do feel like 1250 is or should be some real good technical support. And if we make sales here, it does feel like a bit of a panic sell to me, Mike. I mean, we're pricing in so much negative news. I don't think we have a weather premium in this market. If our ending stock on Friday, if you would stay forecasted at even say 280 million bushels, What if you start to have a weather threat this year and you knock two bushels an acre off the soybean yield? Well, this is way too cheap then for soybeans. So no, I'm not making any sales here and crossing my fingers.
0: (laughs) All right, Dwayne. Well, let's take a look at the wheat market. It seemed as though maybe last week, earlier this week, the wheat market was turning around, developing those bullish narratives. But today it's right in the sell off camp with the rest of the grains. Is, Is wheat not finding buyers out here?
2: Not a lot. I think what we did find the last three or four trading session is willing shorts to get out of position. So we had short covering and they were have to buy the market, of course. So it rallied it back, probably on Russia and Ukraine news. It does seem like Russia's trying to dig their heels in and on this Black Sea export corridor for Ukraine but I don't know they're still willing to meet um, like you mentioned off air they need the cash I, I still think they're gonna allow things to be done at the last you know 11th hour probably on this deal and that's probably what we know so we're probably pulling off a little bit here but remember those funds are massively short so if for some reason Russia would actually close up the Ukraine exports to the rest of the world, at least through the Black Sea, that would be a pretty bullish thing for wheat and for the corn market.
0: Based on their shortness, Dwayne, would you see that short covering rally be the biggest in the Chicago contract, even though it's KC with the real supply issues this spring?
2: Yeah, you're right. It actually would happen mostly in Chicago. Um, Now Minneapolis is showing the most support this morning with still some green on the screen. And and that's rightfully so, as you saw in the crop progress report. Spring wheat planting is way behind, and North Dakota got plenty of rain this weekend and more rain forecasted for this week. So we, we can kind of forget the above trendline yields for spring wheat, in my opinion.
0: All right, Dwayne, before we let you go, we got to talk about this cattle market. You have been a bull on this live cattle and feeder cattle market for all oh, the whole time we've been talking to you here on this <laughs> program. That bullish attitude has paid off, Dwayne, but it seems as though the market's trying to decide where we go from here. What's your bet?
2: Yeah, I recently, I think it was just a, a nice normal pullback in a bullish market. I'm still that bull there. You know, cutouts have come off the highs and so is the cash market. Cash market is probably off about $10, $12 off the highs in some areas, but that's OK. I mean, we ran into a time frame where it probably should. But, you know, summer demand is, is here now and should start to pick up. I, I see us still going back and testing those highs. And, and June might take out 170 yet once we get into delivery.
0: June with a target of 170. Dwayne, that would be music to a lot of cattle feeders. ears, particularly because as I take a look at the feeder cattle chart right now, those cattle feeders are just working to hand over those profits as quick as they can to the cow-calf guy, it would appear.
2: (laughs) I know, and, and you may see more of that, Mike, because now you're getting rains in the southern plains and some of the pasture areas where we've reduced the cattle herd, right? So come this fall, if they're buying back all these heifers, that means
0: even less supply out there. So feeders could
2: be a pretty wild market
0: this fall. Dwayne, does the consumer have enough demand to keep this cattle kill where it is, at least deep into the summer?
2: I think we do. Uh, I say that a little bit hesitant because I'm a little bit surprised. Uh, you know, We went through this time frame where we thought we were going to have a recession and less money available uh, to spend on it. But people have demand still high, cutouts are still high and exports are good. And maybe the lower U.S. dollar keeps that going, too. So I think they do keep spending. I'll keep eating steak. I'm sure of that.
0: That is good to hear, Duane, because it definitely sounds as though these higher cattle prices are taking aim at the packer profitability for the first time in about three years, it seems.
2: Yeah, it is. Tyson was out yesterday with their quarterly earnings and not earnings for once, basically you know, a little bit of a loss. I was actually almost surprised it wasn't worse. I mean, they had to pay a lot of money for cattle for the last month, right? But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be tough on packers for maybe a year, maybe Maybe 18 months, we'll, we'll see, you know, as this herd retracted and got smaller, but they'll be back and making profits later.
0: <laughs> they will, folks. It's interesting to see that leopard switch. We've been talking to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt and Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Folks, stay with us. Caitlin Love from the Public Lands
3: Council. will be with you.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. On the first Wednesday of every month, our friends from the National Corn Growers Association join us here on AOA for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. This month, we spoke with Sarah McKay about Consider Corn Challenge 4.
4: We've had three to date, and these are open innovation contests that really look to establish novel uses for corn. So you think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at placing uh, things like petrochemicals, products that are, can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. This year, the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Cool
0: quarter of a million dollars, Sarah. That's impressive. Tell us, where can folks go to learn more about the Consider Corn Challenge?
4: They can visit our website at ncga.com slash new uses. Feel free to to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com. And I'm always happy to have that conversation or come even speak to uh, grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn.
0: Tune in on June 7th for the next monthly grind right here on AOA. I think farming picked me. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: AOA continues here today, and our topic next is moving towards management of public lands. Of course, the United States owns millions of acres across this vast country, and the Bureau of Land Management gets to decide who and what happens on those acres. Joining us now to discuss a fairly recent proposal that would change in a large way how the BLM manages these lands is Caitlin Glover. She serves as the executive director for the Public Lands Council and NCBA's Natural Resources Division. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, folks, stick with us. We're gonna be working to get Caitlin on the line here in just a moment. Caitlin, can you hear me now?
6: I can hear you, Mike. It's always a pleasure to join you.
0: Hey, fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time, Caitlin. And let's talk a little bit about what the BLM would like to add to their permitted uses here of federal lands. Can you fill us in a little bit? How does this permitting work before we get into the details?
6: So it's a great question, Mike. And I think that part of the challenge with this most recent BLM action, uh, is that we don't know how it would work. Uh, during their uh, announcement on the 3rd of April, the Bureau of Land Management suggested a couple things. One was to add conservation as a use under the law that governs federal land management, and then to use that use, that new purpose for using federal lands uh, to lease areas for conservation projects. Uh, it's a totally new interpretation of CLTMA, that Federal Land Management and Policy Act, um, and it has ourselves, of course, as a grazing community, but a lot of other multiple youth communities up in arms. Um, I'm glad to talk to you about it this morning because when we talk about conservation, especially in the grazing community, we know that agriculturalists, farmers and ranchers are you know, this country's original conservationists. And so it probably seems a little bit incongruous that, that these people who are the original conservationists have concerns about adding conservation leasing to public lands.
0: Just so I can make sure I understand really what's happening here. Right now, we've got all of these different permitted uses. You mentioned grazing. We've got exploration. We've got, you know, recreational activities, et cetera, et cetera. And this bringing conservation and what would happen then as I understand it, Caitlin, you correct me where I'm wrong is let's say we've got a thousand acre block of BLM ground right now. It is suitable for cattle grazing and that's how it's permitted. If it's permitted for conservation only, those cattle would go, right? Is that the expectation? I think that's the expectation, the cattle
6: would go, but so would the hiking, the biking, the hunting, the fishing, and all of those other multiple uses. And this is important because as we look at the mission of the Bureau of Land Management, managing public lands, their charge is different than managing private lands. You know, On your private land, in your private cow pasture or sheep pasture, you can, you can say what happens definitively, you control what happens on those lands. The Bureau of Land Management is charged with managing these, these hundreds of millions of acres for this charge of, of benefit for the American people now and into the future. And that is done under what's called a multiple-use mandate, that all of these different uses, grazing and mining and energy and recreation and conservation for wildlife habitat, um, you know, that biodiversity, all of those things are managed for by the BLM. The challenge though is that all of those, and, and the challenge of the BLM is that all of those are managed in a balance. By adding a totally new interpretation and a new leasing system, you upset that balance and you separate the conservation goals and outcomes from each of those other multiple uses, separate those out into a totally new power structure. And the way the BLM has set it up in this rule, it gives those conservation leases veto power over other multiple uses. So exactly as you said, Mike, conservation lease could force cows off the landscape. It could force hiking and biking and fishing off the landscape. And, and that's important, right? Because even though conservation is important, the balance and the outcomes is, is just as important and is enshrined in law. And giving one use, any use, the power to remove other uses from federal land is a, is a huge problem. It's a huge problem across the 14 Western states where federal lands grazing exists, but it's also a huge problem for the American people.
0: And Caitlin, it sounds as though it would be a huge problem for the health of the land, as I understand it, and I'm no agronomist, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but research over the past 15 to 20 years has showed tremendous value to grazing these these landscapes. And how do you manage for conservation without livestock? I guess is my question.
6: Well, you can't, Mike, and I, and I think that that's the, the point here. If you remove cattle and sheep from the landscape in in favor of um, some vague conservation project, what we've seen in, from these, these place-based sort of random acts or isolated acts of conservation is that you may see a temporary improvement in, in certain attributes. We see this a lot with Endangered Species Act listing where you improve the habitat for one species at the expense of all the others, right? Because you've upset the balance and that's what we would see with these random acts of conservation leasing uh, under this rule. You would compromise the larger strategies, the landscape level strategies for land health and conservation, uh, because conservation is, 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 is a part of every multiple use already, and so by pulling it out, giving that power, removing those other uses, um, you're, you're really going to see a long-term compromised strategy For the certainly for the 155 million acres that are grazed across the West, but I would argue across the BLM's entire, you know, several hundred million acre portfolio.
0: Caitlin, I'm glad you brought up the Endangered Species Act, and we'll turn our attention to that in just a moment. But before we do action here on this proposed BLM rule, what's the timeline for this proposal to become an actual rule, and how can landowners share their thoughts with the Bureau of Land Management?
6: so so hopefully we're not going to see this proposed rule become uh, a regulation um, but that is going to require robust public involvement currently the comment period is scheduled to elapse on the 20th of june but there are going to be at least five public meetings ahead of that time two are virtual Three meetings exist across the West right now or scheduled across the West in Denver, Albuquerque, and in Reno. Uh, The Public Lands Council is organizing uh, comments. We have a number of issue, uh, issue groups who are going to be activated at those meetings, not only making sure that those challenges and those problems are discussed at the meetings, but also enshrined in those written comments. Any of your listeners can go to publiclandscouncil.org and go to the producer resources comment section to find the the links and those information. Um, And if they have any questions, please have them reach out to to me, uh, Caitlin Glover, and and I'm always happy to discuss uh, why we have some challenges with, with this particular proposal.
0: All right, Caitlin. Thanks for filling us in on that. Let's turn to another area where we seem to always have challenges and that's the Endangered Species Act. We saw the lesser prairie chicken get added in a couple of different ways to the ESA this last year. And Caitlin, I understand there's been legal pushback. Can you fill us in on how the court cases or or legal pushback is stacking up?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, with the Endangered Species Act, this is one of those things where we saw Congress uh, act in the 1970s to to create a, a mechanism to save the species that are most imperiled. But over the last 40 or 50 years, really what we've seen is a perversion of the process where landscapes and, and even landowners are sort of held hostage by a federal process uh, that is, is just largely inefficient. And, and I think the lesser Prairie Chicken is a great example, right? So earlier uh, last year, we saw the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, take two listing actions, as you mentioned. They list, listed a portion of the population as threatened and the other portion of the population as endangered. That threatened uh, population, that's Kansas, Oklahoma, Colorado, and, and parts of Texas and then other parts of Texas are, are and New Mexico are in that endangered listing. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty arbitrary division between the two, but, but unfortunately the impacts across the landscape are the same. Private landowner limitations, uh, disincentives to continue good you know, management practices like grazing and, and others uh, and a real hampering of that voluntary, incentive-based, durable uh, habitat management. And so once that, that listing was finalized, uh, NCBA, PLC, a number of our other stakeholder uh, groups uh, did file a lawsuit. Um, we are pursuing remedy in court for, for a number of claims. But we're also using Congress as well. The congressional process is really, really important. Uh, Congress has the both the privilege and the responsibility uh, of providing oversight of the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, and we've seen a pretty pretty sharp rebuke of the agency from Congress. There's a mechanism called the Congressional Review Act. And if Congress passes uh, a Congressional Review Act, it means that the, the rule that is the subject of that CRA is nullified and the agency can't go down a similar path with that rulemaking any time into the future. The Senate has already passed. Uh, this CRA resolution, disapproving of the rule. We're hopeful that the House will do so soon, despite the White House's insistence that, that veto it. The work continues, and uh, we appreciate your producers' engagement.
0: Absolutely, folks. Stay engaged. Stay involved. Stay aware of what is coming out of Washington, D.C. We've been talking with Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining us here today.
6: Thanks again, Mike.
0: And folks, stay with us. We'll talk meat exports with Dan Halston when AOA Report agriculture of america is brought to you by Senex maxtron synthetic diesel engine oil oil that runs smart on the first wednesday of every month our friends from the national corn growers association join us here on aoa for a segment we call the monthly grind this month we spoke with sarah mckay about consider corn challenge 4.
4: we've had three today and these are open innovation contests that really look to establish novel uses for corn. So you think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at placing uh, things like petrochemicals, products that are, can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. This year, the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Cool
0: quarter of a million dollars, Sarah. That's impressive. Tell us where can folks go to learn more about the Consider Corn Challenge?
4: They can visit our website at ncga.com new uses. Feel free to, to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com. And I'm always happy to have that conversation or come even speak to grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn.
0: Tune in on June 7th for the next monthly grind right here on AOA.
7: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at what's happening in this grain and livestock trade as we kick off the week on Monday. Of course, we have the May World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report coming up on Friday. That will be a big focus of traders here this week. Also, we continue to watch the Black Sea Grain Initiative and the Russia-Ukraine issues a little more short covering, it appears, here in the wheat trade early in the week. As we're worried about the Black Sea Grain Deal's potential non-renewal on May 18th. Poor crop ratings in the U.S. for winter wheat have also been supportive here as well. There was supposed to be another meeting for the black sea grain deal on Friday, but that apparently did not happen. So uh, just a lot of tension with that situation we're keeping our eyes on. Now we look at quarter wheat moving a little bit lower here early in the trading day on Monday as we see that. Uh, For the most part, weather, recent rainfall slowed planting a bit, but helped soil-moistured areas like Nebraska and western Iowa, which were very dry, Weather, though not seen as a bullish factor, this market it's a bit more bearish as we still have plenty of time to get the crop into the ground. We continue to watch the outside markets after the Federal Reserve raised interest rates again last week. Debt ceiling worries are definitely a concern in this broader market trade. We're gonna be keeping our eyes on moving forward as well. Crude oil is rebounding up a dollar fifty-seven a barrel, seventy-two ninety-one here. At last check on this Monday, livestock trade is relatively mixed. A little bit of strength here in live and feeder cattle with hogs pushing a little bit lower. Traders are looking pretty cautious here in the livestock markets as we kick off the week. Overall, cord and beans trading anywhere from one to seven lower with wheat futures. Chicago mixed around unchanged with casey and spring wheat up moderately. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, AOA
0: continues here this morning. And while we've been talking a lot domestically about the headlines driven in the beef industry, on the international stage, at least for the month of March, the headlines are on the pork industry. Incredible rebound in the value and volume of pork exported back in March. Joining to fill us in on the details here of the global meat trade is Dan Halstrom. Serves as president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here today.
9: Yeah, pleasure to be with you, Mike. Thank you.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about the big win for March meat exports, Dan, and that's the pork market. Where did we see demand climb the fastest?
9: Yeah, the uh, the month of March was, was large across many fronts. Uh, we were up 17% versus a year ago in total, and it's the ninth. Largest month ever for exports of pork and once again, it was pretty broad-based led by Mexico up 15% off of last year's record But you've got a whole slew of other markets that contributed the Dominican Republic, Malaysia, South Korea, Japan, Philippines, Australia, Taiwan um, a whole litany of countries that saw dramatic growth so uh, Very encouraging for the month of March and for the quarter as a whole first quarters off to a good start for pork
0: It is interesting. And Dan, that growth in Mexico was pretty incredible. As you look at the demand drivers down in that country and even farther south through Central and South America, is it the return of tourism? Is it the end of COVID officially in those parts of the world that are improving that pork demand?
9: Yeah, I think it's all of the above. And you're right. Latin America in general has been strong, led by Mexico, but Central America has a pretty good showing going as well. And uh, it is. I mean, tourism is back. <clears throat> the rebound from COVID is back. I, I wouldn't say maybe we're not quite back to normal, but it's pretty darn close. Uh, but the retail sector that really gained legs, like we did all over the world during COVID, remains strong as well. And uh, you know, even even some of the convenience style uh, options at retail is kind of an emerging segment as well. So. You know, it's really, to answer your question, it's all of the above, and uh, things are going uh, uh, quite well as it relates to not only pork, but we haven't talked about beef yet, but beef had a wonderful month in in the month of March for Mexico as well
0: absolutely it's good to see everything really was up in the month of march we'll get to lamb here in just a moment before we talk beef though dan i want to turn the focus back to the pork demand and a comment i've heard from several market analysts which is that they suspect that african swine fever is back again in china or perhaps flaring up again in china are we seeing the chinese move into the american pork market in a bigger way
9: um we've seen some growth in china but it's been muted Um, It's mainly variety meats, a little bit of muscle cuts, but nothing like we saw in 2020. And we've heard some of those same things about uh, continued animal disease challenges in in China. So, uh, but I can't say that we've really seen a profound uh, impact on our numbers because of that. I can tell you though, one of the shifts that's happening that's really, um, you know, uh, uh, large, and that's the, the shift in the EU situation. Uh, The EU traditionally is our largest competitor globally on pork, and uh, we've seen a massive liquidation there. Production in the EU is down 5% last year, projected to be down another 5% or more this year, Um, and a lot of it's economics. And uh, we're seeing a contraction over there. We've seen several uh, processing plants close in the last three or four months in Europe, and I, we are definitely seeing the impact of that. I mentioned that the Philippines, Australia, and Taiwan were all up for U.S. port in the month of March. And I think a lot of that has to do with the increased competitiveness of the U.S. and, and less supply availability out of, out of Europe, in particular in those examples. So we've got to keep our eye on Europe because uh, that's a pretty substantial shift compared to where we've been the last few years.
0: Yeah, absolutely, opening up some opportunity for American pork exporters to gain some market share. Dan, you're plugged into the global meat processing industry, and I'm wondering, in Europe specifically, in that hog market, do we assume that when with that production goes offline, it's probably not coming back there in Europe, thanks to their their policy choices?
9: Well, you hit on it. I was going to say that same thing. Uh, they have backed themselves into a corner to some extent <clears throat> with their uh, their overall. Excuse me. They're overall animal ag policies, and uh, you know they're not necessarily that friendly to technology and innovation. And uh, and I think to some extent that's catching up with them. Um, but but you know it's all about you have to be financially sustainable. And uh, I think in some examples uh, that's why some of these plants did close. But but keeping our eye on the ball, demand continues to be pretty solid despite. Uh, higher inputs and, and, and higher prices on a lot of things. And uh, we're encouraged by that as we, as we go forward here on not only pork, but beef as well.
0: Well, let's turn our attention over to beef, Dan, because that is certainly moving headlines here in the U.S. and it's getting stronger on the international stage. How did the month of March look for beef em- exports?
9: yeah march was uh was much better than january or february um we were we were still down five percent uh for the month of march at 120,000 metric tons but uh it was the best month we had in six months going back to last fall and i think um as i mentioned earlier you know mexico was strong uh the philippines was big caribbean continues we've set records in the caribbean the last six months that continues but Asia, while down, was the best month we've had in five or six months, uh, especially in places like Korea, Taiwan, and China. So I think, um, I think that bodes well, because in the face of higher prices, um, the, the, the demand is, seems to still, while down a bit, seems to still be pretty strong.
0: Dan, I'm glad you brought up the higher prices, of course. Those of us in the U.S. who have gone to the meat case have certainly seen those higher prices here over the past year. What have American meat prices done, beef prices done in Asia here in the past couple of months at the retail level? Do we continue to see, do U.S. MEF experts see higher beef prices throughout Asia currently?
9: Yeah, we we definitely do. And uh, part of that is our, our pricing here. And part of it uh, is duties and exchange rates over there. And Japan's a classic example. The yen uh, in the last year has been pretty uh, <clears throat> pretty weak against the US dollar, thus making imports more expensive on a yen basis. Um, we saw similar trends in Korea, although the Korean won has moderated somewhat. So, uh, and, and actually the yen's moderated from from the peak, but uh, still still relatively high. So. You got to keep that in mind that we're dealing with exchange rates we're dealing with tariffs uh, albeit declining tariffs uh in japan but still a 23 percent tariff so uh yeah these are things that uh, are resulting in higher prices but that being said um demand continues to be uh pretty solid um in, in in especially in places like japan and korea which are still two of our largest markets although they're they're down a bit from last year's records
0: Dan, one of the things we always see in the export business is the ability of American packers to add value to cuts that Americans don't like to eat. We love shipping those variety meats overseas, and uh, we've always found good export customers for those. Is that trend still in place? Are those variety meats still in demand out there around the world?
9: Without a doubt, yeah. The variety meat business continues to grow. Let's be honest, uh, even with higher prices on the primal cuts, uh, you know, the relative increase in prices percentage-wise, a lot of times, is less on a variety of meats. And even though the prices might be higher, it's a, it's a value in some of these countries. I'm thinking about tripe to Mexico or tongues to Japan. Uh, these are uh, so-called so the center of the plate items for some of these market segments in places like uh, Latin America and Asia. So, yeah, without a doubt, that business continues to grow uh, and the values continue to grow as well. So it's about selling a whole carcass, Mike. And, uh, you know, the, the packers here, the industry in the U.S. side is very good at uh, at maximizing the value of that carcass.
0: They sure are, especially when it comes to the export world. Dan, do you have handy the, uh, the export value uh, created here in the month of March for the beef sector per head?
9: Yeah, on the beef side in the month of March, we were just under $400 ahead, $397 and change. And uh, while down from a year ago, still pretty strong overall and, uh, and, and an improvement over uh, January and February. So we're, we're still pretty excited about that. On the pork side, we contributed $63 ahead. So there's a lot, of, a lot of value here without a doubt uh, from these exports
0: there certainly is it will be interesting to see how these international buyers stick with us as these retail prices climb over the coming months dan but before we look at uh, some speculation here let's talk about the lamb volume because again it was fairly strong here in this uh, this month of march
9: yeah but the lamb muscle cuts continue to uh to grow and you're you know through the first quarter you know we're up 35 percent and uh led by the by the Caribbean and Mexico, it has the two regions that have been leading it all along and Central America and a few others have contributed as well. I think we're getting a little broader uh, base of business, which is always good on the lamb side.
0: Absolutely, it is. Dan, before we let you go, you mentioned the Caribbean. We're seeing volume growth there on the lamb side. On the pork side, the Dominican Republic, that African swine fever outbreak, still driving lots of U.S. pork into the DR.
9: Yeah, it is, and it's record large. some of that is uh, without a doubt related to the ASF situation and the rebound or the accepted ex- rebound at some point of the domestic herd. But, but demand in general per capita consumption is growing there as well. So uh, even when they do come back with their herds, uh, whatever that will look like, uh, the demand is going to be dependent upon imports long term. So that's always a good thing
3: it is
0: indeed folks it's great to see some positive headlines for us meat exports we've been speaking with dan halstrom currently serving as president and ceo of the usmef and dan thanks so much for joining us today
9: thank you mike anytime
0: stay with us folks we'll talk with norita taylor the director of communications from the owner operator independent drivers association when aoa returns looking at Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
8: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
4: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute.
1: Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
8: Hey, honey, why don't you
5: take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org/caregiving. That's aarp.org/caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Matt Cerdik. He's the Senior Environmental Health and Safety Manager with CHS about road safety tips for farmers, ranchers, and motorists. Matt, what safety precautions should farm equipment operators take while crossing or driving on roadways?
1: There's things that we need to be doing and looking at when we look at our equipment. Things such as functioning lights, functioning turn signals, having those slow moving vehicle signs, even reflective tape, anything that we can do to make sure that our our equipment, our implements stand out. It's clear when we're making you know, turns going into different roadways, we're crossing roadways, we're going into field approaches. One thing that we do stress with all of our drivers is the concept of anticipate, concentrate, and take action, the act concept. And really what that's designed to is anticipating. It's really having us focus and look around you know, watching our mirrors, watching other motorists, you know, as we're about to turn, are we checking our mirrors and anticipating something that could happen? Taking that, you know, the concentrating is eliminating those distractions, getting those cell phones out of our hands, making sure that our attention is on that roadway. Attention is making those turns and the motorists around us. And obviously taking action is when you see something is driving defensively, taking those necessary movements and protecting yourself, protecting those around you.
0: What can motorists do to stay safe as they encounter farm equipment on the roads?
1: Patience. That's a big key term on that one. It's a busy time of the year. There's a lot of equipment on the roadway. It's a stressful time as far as equipment operators. I think that's where patience in giving those equipment operators plenty of room so we're not right up on the bumper, give them plenty of space, and also just keep in mind that they need plenty of space to be able to turn.
0: That's Matt Certick, Senior Environmental Health and Safety Manager with CHS. Matt, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
5: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming.
0: I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice
5: backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Welcome to the 2023 corn sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, we love to talk about agriculture here on this program, but we also like to talk about the industries that support agriculture. And almost, or I should say very few industries are more supportive of the ag industry than that of trucking. There's a substantial amount of overlap. Most of what we grow on the farm wouldn't get to where it's going without truckers. So I like to keep up to speed with what's happening in that industry. And one of the most impactful things that could be coming out this year is a speed limiter rule from the Federal Motor, Carry Sa- Federal Motor Carrier Safety Association. Joining us to talk about that proposal and perhaps some moves to stall it is Norita Taylor. She serves as the Director of Public Relations for the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, OOIDA. and Norita, thank you so much for joining us here today.
3: Hey, it's our pleasure. Thank you.
0: Let's talk first about this FMCSA speed limiter proposal. Narita, what have they announced they'd like to do here with truck speeds?
3: Sure. So basically, you know, this is not a new issue for anyone who's been in the trucking industry. The speed limiter mandate comes up every so often. And basically, uh, this builds upon a rulemaking from 2016, which would uh, limit Uh, large trucks to either 60 or 65 or 68 which you know that right there should tell everyone that this is not a great idea if no one even really knows what speed large trucks should be limited to and what's the uh, the up-to-date part of this right now that listeners need to know about is that it has come back up and we anticipate that next month the uh, FMCSA will come up We'll come out with a proposed rulemaking, but we don't know what that will look like exactly. We just know that they will come out with something.
0: And Norita, regardless of what speed limit they propose is being a limiter, the concern is that it's limiting the trucker's availability to do what they need to do in the moment. Is that the concern from from a widest perspective?
3: It is, and it's in addition to, you know, it's what we all learned when we were all taking driver's ed back when they did have driver's ed, which is that highways are safest when all vehicles are going at the same relative speed. And what we are concerned about is the speed differentials or the additional interactions that are going to be caused by speed limiting all the trucks, which is going to increase The likelihood of crashes now the agency has acknowledged that crashes would go up with a speed limiter mandate but that they anticipate they would that those crashes would not be as severe so i'm going to say that again for everybody they know this will increase crashes but they hope they won't be as bad
0: Wow. Okay, that is is not a great sign. And and Norita, I know Oida has been opposing these mandatory speed limiters for some time, and now it sounds like we might have some legislative action that could nip this in the bud. Can you fill us in on the DRIVE Act?
3: Yes. So basically, um, H.R. 3039-3039 is um, an introduction to uh, take away the funding for carrying out the mandate and a way that listeners can support that or in general express their concern about speed limiting trucks is to go to our advocacy website, which is fightingfortruckers.com. And the reason I suggest that is that it makes it really, really easy for you to reach out to your lawmakers, no matter what state or vicinity you live in, you can reach yours and let them know about your concerns.
0: Norita, reaching out to our lawmakers, reaching out to regulators and legislators, does this make a difference? Have we seen these actions change because the folks got active?
3: absolutely you know if they don't hear from you then all they hear from is the opposition you have a right to have your voice heard and this is a very um very serious issue and you know we think that all of this begs an assumption that you know should all vehicles be speed limited if it's so important for safety to slow down trucks then shouldn't we also slow down all all vehicles including passenger vehicles
0: Norita, you know, I travel quite a little bit. And as I recall, there already is a speed limiter in effect on nearly every road I've traveled on called the speed limit. Is that right?
3: Well, there's not only that, but there's also the driver's foot is a great speed limiter as well.
0: It is indeed. OK, folks, so we've got this DRIVE Act. Currently, it is in the House. Norita, do we have a companion bill in the Senate or is that something the industry is still pushing for?
3: That is something we are working on. And again, you know, if you reach out to your senators, you can ask them to support by coming up with a companion bill. That's a great point.
0: Absolutely, folks, stay on top of this issue. As Norita mentioned, this this new proposal could be coming in June. We'll actually know what speed the FMCSA would like to see all trucks capped at. In the meantime, stay active and aware. But Norita, we've had a lot of focus on supply chains, on transportation and trucking here over the past couple of years. Are there any other issues that Owaida is watching as this legislative season gears up?
3: there's a lot of things going on i think that one of the biggest things would be truck parking you know we do have two bills a house bill and a senate bill out there for increasing parking and that's not just increasing electronic signs or paid parking that is increasing actual spaces for trucks that are not to be charged money now that's one big issue. There's all kinds of other things that we're looking at. There's detention, there's uh, sleep apnea, there's hair testing, it, the list goes on. Those are some of the big things that we're working on.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned that whole list because there are so many things coming down that impact transportation and the folks that get our goods from where they are to where they need to be. It's it's a huge lift. Norita, maybe one of the easier ways is just to tell folks where they can go to read on the work that OIDA is doing. Can you tell us what that website might be?
3: Sure. So fightingfortruckers.com dot com is the website that you know has all of the stuff about all of the issues we're working on, including the speed limiter legislation, parking legislation. and it the great thing about it is it makes it really easy for you to reach out to lawmakers. Another issue that has come up that's really important is underride guards. There's a push to mandate all trailers having underride guards. Um, I know we don't have time to go into that in detail, but that's another one that you might wanna look at as well.
0: It certainly is folks. All of these things could change your delivery times. They could impact cost, and they could make the industry switch. Thanks to OIDA for keeping up on these issues and Narita, thank you so much for joining us here today.
3: Hey, anytime, thank you.
0: And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have more AOA. We'll dig into the sugar industry with Dr. Rob Johansson, economist with the American Sugar Alliance. Thanks for listening. We'll see you for more AOA tomorrow. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
5: It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods. And strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line. With greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and... Just plain old greatness. So win the Corn Sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit CornSprint.com.
4: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block,